Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. In a digital world that demands your attention, it can be challenging to build your own worldview. The Financial Times brings you rigorous and independent global journalism so you can see more angles and find time to think for yourself. Don't jump to conclusions. Read to them instead. Fearlessly Pink. Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. In 1969, a plan to show support for an anti-racism protest turned the lives of 14 promising black student-athletes upside down. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Welcome to Cairo, Egypt. Picture the scene. Because this is a program about pictures, about comics. First, the skyline, apartment blocks, towers, minarets. This city was once known for a thousand of them, and you all stood at the very top of one of them. A sweep of winter sky, birds rising, falling. In the foreground are rooftops littered with satellite dishes. In the buildings beneath them, hidden, are people, ordinary people, going about their ordinary days. And looking down from up here is a man in a warm jacket, cap on his head, sitting, watching with a sketchbook. Here we can see just a part of Cairo. As we climb higher, you'll be able to see more areas, and mosques such as Singer and Silar and others. That's it. Let's go up. I'll just finish this really quickly. This is comic artist Mohammed Wahba. Here are the domes of Singer and Salar mosques, which I mentioned as we were climbing up. From here, you can see Islamic Cairo with its minarets. You can see Sultan Hassan and the Rifai mosques here, the Taghribardi school, Sabir Mu'abbas up there, Shagrat al-Dur, the Castle Fort, and Muhammad Ali Mosque. It's a bit foggy. You could have seen the mountain and El Gyushi Mosque, but they're all hidden by the fog. As you turn around on the minaret, you see different aspects of the city. People in Cairo also reflect the same diversity. Some wear galabeyas, others just simple clothes, casual outfits. Others are wearing suits, diversified outfits that belong to different eras. They are living together in harmony, deal with each other on daily basis. They are living the same life. Same as the buildings. Cairo in comics. How the metropolis of Egypt's capital, its skyline of ancient minarets and modern tower blocks, and the stories from the streets are inspiring a generation of homegrown artists. This city has so much personality, and you also, when you draw contemporary Cairo, for me, actually, I really enjoyed how comic artists sort of focused on these such mundane aspects and almost made them really fun to observe. Dina Muhammad is a comics artist, writer and designer. I think this is what happened to me with kiosks. It's kind of like a corner store or a bodega, I don't know uh, what you guys might call it. 
they're kind of like these just like small little stalls that are set up, especially like all over Cairo, between the buildings, they tend to be really colorful. Every kiosk owner sort of has his own unique setup, how the boxes are stacked. And they're, they're sort of like these small oases of, of very bright colors in the middle of like very brown Cairo buildings. In 2013, Dina's anthology of three graphic novels was published internationally. It's called Shebek Lubek, a fairytale rhyme, which in English means, Your wish is my command. In the hefty volume, the people in streets of Cairo pop in her bold, beautiful illustrations. But it's a fantasy Cairo, where wishes are bought and sold in bottles and cans at the city's numerous kiosk shops. We call them kushks in Egypt, like a kushk. I took a lot of pictures of them, and I also asked my friends to take a lot of pictures of them, and then I would kind of like draw them later on. I especially like how they look at night because each one has like its unique lighting setup depending on like how they hang up the bulbs. Some of them have like neon lighting, some of them are very like I, I always like the way Cairo looks at night. To me, they were such a an icon of like the past maybe few decades of Cairo. I wanted to draw a story specifically that was set around the kiosk. And I was thinking of like uh, a kiosk that maybe sells a magical object. And then I thought, oh, what if it's a wish? And then I had to think about like the kind of world where you could buy a wish at a kiosk. Public service announcement. Third class wishes, also known as delicates, are dangerous and a hazard to your health. Consumers are advised to be wary of false advertising that promises cheap wishes. Abstain from the use of third-class wishes completely. This public service announcement is brought to you by the General Committee of Wishes for Vision and Licensing. Dina's novel switches back and forth in time. You can do that in comics. And so we will in this program. Because there's someone else Dina thinks you ought to meet. I'm Shinawi. I'm an Egyptian uh, illustrator and comics artist, also the um, director of Cairo International Comics Festival, Cairo Comics. Shinawi to me is, is one of the kind of icons of modern Egyptian comics. He would, you know, go to the printer and print the colors like several times just to make sure the black was as black as it could possibly be, the blue was as vibrant as it could be. So he's someone who paid attention to every single aspect of his work. And Shinawi can take this story back to the beginning. <laughs> when I was younger, like uh, I was reading uh, Magic magazine. It was a magazine published in uh, Emirates, but most of the team was coming from Egypt and also other Arabic countries like uh, Palestine, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq. So when I was younger, I was living with my parents. Uh, they were working in Saudi Arabia. And every time in the summer, we would go to uh, Cairo, you know. And then when I go back to Saudi Arabia and keep reading the magazine, I would recognize Egyptian streets, you know, with the cats in the street and dogs and the Egyptian small houses with its recognizable green window shade. And uh, I would say, yeah, I've seen this in, in Egypt. It's the like Egyptian house. Most of them actually were, were working from Cairo. So it was somehow the beginning of, you know, the working remotely. It marked me, you know, it was really remarkable. I always wanted to draw Cairo. We are on Beb Zuela. It's one of the main gates of Cairo. Remember Wahaba with the sketchbook? Yeah, I, I love Wahaba. He's great. 
Dina. To me, Hamadoha was like the epitome of like the genius artist. Also like one of the, the icons of the Egyptian comics field in the sense of I have never met anyone as prolific and also as meticulous. I don't think I've ever, ever seen Hamadou Haba not drawing. So just in the same way that I like to take pictures and draw at home, Hamadou Haba is someone who will be on site drawing. Like he, he draws every single thing he encounters. My name is Mohamed Wahba. I'm a comics artist and I do documentary sketches about the city. I have produced seven books and I have three in production. My first book was about Cairo. It was a documentation of the city's rooftops. I began to be totally immersed in street life and with the people themselves because I used to sit down within a crowd with a sketchbook and just draw. I engaged with people. People would see me sketching the reality. They were touched by that. So I started doing it on a daily basis, finishing entire sketchbooks on the streets. After that, I moved from just sketching to drawing comics. I feel as if I own the whole city when I watch it from a high place up close. So Tok Tok, the first issue, it came out by 2011, so two weeks right before the revolution in Egypt in the Tahrir Square. Shanewi. I went to uh, France, to Angoulême, you know, the comics festival, the biggest in Europe. And there I have seen this group of, uh, of artists, they are making their own fanzines and uh, publications. So for me, enough publishing in children's magazines. I wanted to um, make comics more for adults. And also I met my friends, you know, who co-founded TikTok with me. So Andil, Makhlouf, Hisham Rahma, and Tawfiq. And then we had to launch it somehow, you know. It was like a baby, you know, that keeps going, but no one seeing it. We printed only 500 uh, copies of Tuk Tuk, and the gallery was packed, and the copies were, were sold out in one hour or two hours, you know. So that was the story of um, the beginning of Tuk Tuk. I was working on a webcomic that was, I was producing it anonymously. It was posted online. I didn't really include my name on it. It used to go a little viral, like on Facebook and, and things like that, but no one knew who had made it. And then I read Tuk Tuk and I was like, whoa, because Tuk Tuk is also an anthology. So there's so many different artists contributing to it. And every, you know, issue is themed and there's really funny comics, there's heartbreaking comics, there's just visually incredible comics. I decided to do my undergraduate thesis on the history of Egyptian comics because I knew we had a history, but I had only ever seen like the children's books. So I was trying to get more into like contemporary Egyptian comics. And the biggest comics out there were like Tuk Tuk, Metro. There was also a, briefly an anthology called Otostrod. And these are also for people listening who might not know, Tuk Tuk is like the sort of small mechanized rickshaw um, and metro is obviously like the metro and Otostrod is, is like a highway in Cairo and I used to notice actually um, when I was reading especially Tuk Tuk which is one of the most beautiful anthologies published in Egypt by Shinnewi I was originally kind of annoyed by how much, how much comics in Egypt tended to revolve around downtown Cairo and then when I started drawing my own comic I ended up doing the same thing <laughs> 
Um, and I don't, I can't really explain why it keeps happening. I think it's just that Cairo has such a personality. I also think you spend so much time stuck in traffic in Cairo that you end up looking at the same scenery over and over. In 50 meters at Salah al-Din Square, take the third exit onto Al-Rafari. So right after the launch of Tok Tok, uh, two weeks after, the movements and the revolution actually started where I was living in downtown. I was like five minutes away from Tahrir Square. We realized that uh, this is getting more serious, you know. So once all this happened and then during the first uh, 18 days, the period between the beginning of the movements until the resign of the former president, uh, Mubarak, then we decided to make the second issue of uh, Tok Tok. We didn't want to... Um, to repeat, you know, what happened exactly in the and during that period, but we wanted to tell it from another perspective, from our perspective also. Somehow in a funny, sarcastic way, sometimes it was more serious and uh, every artist, you know, every author, he, he chose his own way of telling that story. The whole world, you know, it was focusing on what's happening in Tahrir Square. Maybe it was BBC or some some uh, other uh, website. They said like these hipsters in, in Tahrir Square. You know, I don't think people they were familiar with how that generation looks like. You know, in Cairo. So with Tuk Tuk and uh, you know the independent music scene, the graffiti on the walls during the the, the revolution. There was a lot of graffitis. All these things made uh, like a scene, and Tuk Tuk took part of that scene. The title in Arabic it was Zahit. Zahit. In Egyptian pronunciation. Je in French. So it means uh, I'm, I'm fed up. Or I'm fed up in English by Shanawi. Printed in Tuk Tuk magazine. So I think it was uh, 2012. A lot of people were divided between the way they wanted the society to be. Everywhere they go, on the cafe, in the radio and television, on the internet, the debate was like everywhere. And there was also the brutality of the police and at the same time, you know, and the, during those years. So it was somehow telling the story, you know, in a funny and also sarcastic way. That's enough. I am fed up with all this. I'm sick of it. And that too. And, of course, that. I need to breathe. I finished my studies, I found a job, I pray Friday prayers every week. And in the evening, I chill and smoke with my mates. I bought a Korean car and I got engaged. And what do you want us to do? Who else do you want? Well, you just have to get married now. Maybe that will calm you down. Aren't you a little too much? I don't know. I, I did everything I was supposed to. Everything that's on everyone's to-do list. But I'm still fed up. I'm fed up. Fed up. Right. Bring him to me. Well done. Poor thing. You're a revolutionary now, are you, mummy's boy? That'll teach him to behave better. True. What do you do for a living? Graphic artist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll show you movement. <laughs> Here's a touch of impressionism. And graffiti, especially for the youth. And if you want Kama Sutra, I can do that too. <laughs> what is Kama Sutra? Go on, get lost and don't come back. And if you want the same thing, you just keep sniggering as you please. <clears throat> you know, a young man who is uh, fed up with everything around him. Around the society, the traffic jam. I am fed up with all this. I'm sick of it. 
the way people also see the art and the artists at the moment, you know, in 2012, maybe it has changed a little bit. Maybe sometimes they felt sympathy for this little guy. Poor thing. But at the end, everyone just cared about himself and his own business. The image of, of this old guy who was like laughing when the policeman was like uh, shouting and, uh, uh, at the young man. But it ended up actually by the policeman shouting uh, at everyone, you know. The comic strip is fiction, of course, but it hints at a truth. The strangest situation I faced while drawing, people quarreling with me. It happened more than once, actually many times. Especially when people feel surprised to see me drawing. One time, I was drawing people having a full-on argument, and it nearly turned into a fight with me. I was drawing, so I was looking directly at them. They got upset with me, saying, why you look at us this way? These things happened in the beginning, but it became more normal, and people now are more familiar with the arts. They don't feel as surprised anymore when they see someone drawing. Now, we close Tuk Tuk and pick up a newer, heavier, hardback book. This is Shebek Lubek, Dina's now internationally published novel. The English version is 518 pages long. It's a, an urban fantasy graphic novel, so it takes place in a world where you can buy and sell wishes. Dina Muhammad. And the more expensive a wish is, the more powerful its ability to fulfill your desire. So, for example, if you buy a cheap wish for, like, let's say, 500 Egyptian pounds, it will trick you like a monkey's paw. The example given in the book is that if you wish to lose weight, your arms and legs might fall off. Um, whereas if you buy an expensive first-class wish for, like, a million dollars, it will give you exactly what you want. And then the story itself is about a man who has a kiosk in Cairo. He has three first-class wishes that were handed down to him by his father. And he doesn't want to use them because he believes that wishes are religiously impermissible. But because of his debts, he decides to sell them at a huge discount. So the stories are, are sort of about where each of these three first-class wishes uh, goes and who buys them. My father always warned us. He always said, stay away from wishes, dirty money, he called it. And yet just a little bit of that made me forget that. Just enough to pay it off, I said. But you can't fool the Almighty, and here we are. Whether I sell them cheap or not, I'm telling you how it is, Haga. These wishes are bad luck. So the first part of the book revolves around Aziza, who is um, sort of a poor working class widow whose husband has just died. And she decides to buy a wish in his memory. Good evening. I heard that you're selling first class wishes here. Huh? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. Subhanallah, Yaga. What? Uh, Never mind. So... uh, I know there is supposed to be a discount, so how much would one of these wishes cost me? Well, the discount is supposed to be for loyal customers, but I'll tell you anyway. A wish costs about pounds. In most situations, what stands between you and your wish is merely a mountain of money. If your wish is worth a million dollars, then you would obviously have to wish for something that's more valuable than that. The first book was themed around grief. The second book is themed around happiness. Um, So the second book, it's a student who has depression and they buy a wish to to sort of figure out how to help or cure their depression. Okay. 
So, what if I just wish for energy? Like at the end of the day, my problem is that I don't have energy to function the way I want to. If I always have energy, then at least I can get out of bed to do the things that make me feel better, like studying and exercise and. Oh God! But what if I just end up with endless energy and no satisfaction? I'll just be running treadmills and crying for the rest of my life. Should I just wish to pass every exam I take for the rest of my life? Happiness, contentment, willpower, inner peace, outer peace. God, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If you go to a bookstore now, they usually have like a shelf for Arabic graphic novels, which is something that wasn't there when I was originally publishing with them. So I think there is a pathway. Now that people at least can try to follow or or look to making it work, but I I would say it's not easy. It's not easy, and it it's it's mostly just about money and and time because comics is a really time consuming art. I mean, if you think of book of how much it takes someone to do an illustration, and you think how many panels are in a page, and you, and you think about like how many pages are in a graphic novel, it is it's a very time consuming art. I think it's second only to like hand drawn animation is. As like one of the most, you know, exhaustive and physically demanding mediums. Dina, with her graphic novel, that trilogy, you know, that three books that she published, it has changed the new generation of uh, comics authors in Egypt. You know, Shaanawy. Because there was this pillars we say right of comics somehow in the scene in Egypt. If I include myself, for example, and all the authors in Tuk Tuk, it got older, you know, it's normal during last 10 years. And then Adina came out with her uh, graphic novel and the new generation re- rediscovered this without even knowing about Tuk Tuk. It's, it's just the continuity from her side. If she says the, that she was reading Tuk Tuk and everything, but for the new generation that have never seen the this heritage of comics, That helps actually to um, to keep producing. I don't know. I, it feels rude to call them an, or, an older generation because they're not really that much older. But I think as well we've seen the impact of like up and coming comics artists as well, especially the ones who sort of post online. I love the work of Nasser Junior, who is a sort of a web comic artist. Mohammed Zahran, Nuran Fikri. It's work that's that's been resonating with with lots of people in Egypt. My feeling is that actually, there, you know, people haven't really scratched the surfaces with the kind of stories that can be told, or the kind of stories that exist already within Cairo and within Egypt and within, you know, the entire Middle East. There, there's so much that just hasn't been explored. When I visited like New York City, New York City is like one of the most, I think, represented cities in the world. Like it's drawn so frequently by so many people, just like same as like Tokyo is, for example. And so I think for me, this is something I would love for Cairo because I feel like it's it's also a city that deserves like this sort of rendering and 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 just to be seen through so many eyes. For me, like one of the priorities is making sure that this upcoming generation has access to resources that will actually allow them to create the work I know they can create. It's so easy to make a comic. All you need is a paper and a pen. You don't even have to be good at drawing. I've read some really like devastating like stick figure comics. In some aspects, you can get like you know more honest and more straightforward and more authentic 
stories told through comics. You don't even need like a canvas or a paintbrush. Like literally all you need is, is a pen and a paper. Cut to black. The text reads the present day. The location is Cairo's Mahmoud Mokhtar Museum, named for the Egyptian sculptor and pioneer of Egyptian contemporary art. He was actually the first sculptor after the um, pharaonic Egyptians. Today it's bustling with people who've come to the 8th Cairo Comics Festival. The director is our artist friend, Shayanewi. We wanted to be united with other artists, and I had the, um, the idea of the festival. We worked on the first edition in 2015, and uh, since then we were committed to um, have the festival every year. Cairo Comics, which I think is like the singular most important comics festival in the world, <laughs> um, but it, it definitely has been very, very foundational to me, and I think it's, it's just one of those festivals specifically that celebrates comics, we are in the heart of Cairo. You can hear the traffic outside. You can hear the bustle of the people. It's like a beehive. I'm very fascinated by the amount of color I see and and the different like the people that are here. It's so diverse. I want to say expressions. I want to say how people uh, react. Social media makes everything dull. When you see 30 likes, you say, oh, just 30 likes? Oh, um, no one likes me. But when you are here and see 30 people appreciating your work, you are overwhelmed of love. It is a beautiful city, but places that you can experience art and, and live art as a regular person, as someone who's not in, in the art uh, community, are not uh, very public, are not very well known. So uh, I think this is actually a good opportunity for people to experience it. I love it here. I just want to stop and speak to every single person I meet. <laughs> These crowds, the comics being sold and bought, the connections and collaborations and inspirations. This is an art scene inspiring those who every year seek out this festival and the artists who have been propelled by it, like Dina. It's not even a field, it's really just a community. So no one's really making money. No one is making a living off of being a comics artist. It's really a work of passion. It's, it's you know, everyone who is in comics in Egypt does it because they love it. I'm really excited and, and proud of this new generation. And um, I think they, they love Cairo Comics and we love their work and their existence and uh, attendance every year. This conference is not just a conference. It's a festival or a Eid. It's like our Eid. It's a Eid for comic book artists. From the youngest artist, the amateur to the professional, we all connect. So the festival is basically our connective tissue. It's not just an event. It's bigger than that. Like I said, to me, it's like a Eid. The end. I'm not yet done telling the stories I wanted to tell of Cairo. I I don't think I can not draw about Cairo. <laughs> Cairo and Comics was produced by Claire Salisbury with extra production by Nadine Shaikid. The studio manager was Ilsa Lehman. Can you set the stage a little bit so people understand what happened? 
1969, 14 black student athletes were kicked off their university's American football team for planning a show of support against racism. We were really protesting our treatment on the field. Amazing sports stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. We became brothers that day when you did that to us. We made a change. Fighting for what we deserve. Search for amazing sports stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. In a digital world that demands your attention, it can be challenging to build your own worldview. The Financial Times brings you rigorous and independent global journalism, so you can see more angles and find time to think for yourself. Don't jump to conclusions. Read to them instead. Fearlessly Pink. Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless.